What is happening? Welcome to the Plus Pitch Podcast, your morning pitching podcast from PitcherList.com. My name is Nick Polk, and today we're going to talk about the Minnesota Twins. And boy, am I lucky that I waited until today to do the Twins after, of course, the deal yesterday where Anthony Descafani moved to Seattle and before he even pitched a single pitch for them, now is a Minnesota Twin. Happened last night, and here I am writing about the Twins. And we got to start, of course, with Pablo Lopez, though. Pablo Lopez to me, is going to be, I think, either my SP5 or SP6. Uh, I'm not exactly sure which one. The way I see it, he had this ERA and whip that was actually a little inflated last year. It was about 3.6 ERA and close to, I think, actually a 1.15 whip on the dot. I don't see that repeating from Pablo Lopez. What I saw last year is a four-seamer that uh, was 99th percentile in swinging strike rate, if you can believe that. Increases velocity by going to driveline. Added a sweeper that you didn't have before. Embrace the sinker inside or righties and still has the changeup and is able to use his curve in different ways. He is by far a more complete pitcher than he's ever been. And the fact that he replicated a season before, it just doesn't quite add up to me. So I see Pablo Lopez as a guy that should be closer to low three Z array, closer to like 105, 110 whip. And keep in mind, he tied Kevin Gosman for strikeouts last year. And I don't quite grasp why Lopez is going underneath Gosman. I think the reason is the innings expectation is lower given that Lopez has an injury history, even though the last two seasons have been very good as far as pretty much just going every five days. And with Gosman, 100, 100, 118 whip and 124 whip last two seasons because his fastball is just so hit him while he's only two pitches. While Pablo Lopez, high, full pitch mix, much better four-seamer, has the whiffable pitches as well. And tied him in strikeouts last year. I just see it as like, yeah, go get Pablo Lopez instead. He should be a workhorse. He should be that guy who uh, is just so steady and honestly can be better um, as he gets another season with his new stuff. And also, of course, watch the interview I had with him. Um, He has this amazing notebook where he reviews all of his games and talks about what he's working on. It's so good. Uh, I absolutely love it. I mean, also Cole Reagan's had his notebook, which, by the way, Twitch, uh, not Twitch chat, I'm sorry, Playback Chat loved and they reacted to. He has a notebook! And uh, we, I love that. I love that pitchers um, really write down what they're doing, really are that conscientious about it. I think it's by far the best way to do it because, yeah, you're going to be better when you're able to take notes of it and really reflect and all of it. It's so good. Anyway, long story short, I think that uh, lefties is still the big question mark for uh, for Pablo as the sinker isn't there. Um, against uh, lefties. I mean, he's trying to do some front hip stuff, but that's not really a thing. Um, and his sweeper doesn't work as well. So it's really four-seamer, change-up, and curve, where the curve, I think, is the fifth best pitch in my view, even though it had a really good POV and everything. Um, the change-up is great. Four-seamer wasn't as effective against lefties. So that's the real thing, and I wouldn't be surprised if he starts throwing some sort of cutter in the mix as well. Um, we have Joe Ryan, uh, and Joe Ryan... I want to be higher on, and I understand, uh, I talked to Eric Smolski last night um, to do the On the Corner podcast, and once again, we did a two-hour podcast. We did one that previously that was just about every single prospect pitcher on every team, and we even like sped through the Yankees and the, and the Dodgers at the end of that one. And this was me going over his top 100, 10 by 10, and that was super fun. I, I can't express that enough. Eric is amazing. He, I, I made him put it out too quickly. He really wanted to sit there and think more about it. And I pretty much said, like, look, this is your top 100 right now. But honestly, this is me 
being the red team and kind of like showcasing the big criticisms or something that you might get from this. And if you don't, you know, if you still like, no, Nick, I don't really see it your way, then that's great too. Um, but uh, he let me kind of have fun with it. And I, uh, it was great. I mean, Eric made some really great points uh, along the way as well. And one thing that stuck out to me is they had Joe Ryan around 36, I think. And if you recall, I had Joe Ryan around 20 at the end of the season. I'm not going to have Joe Ryan there now. And I'm actually, I see Eric with that. And I normally don't look at rankings at all. I have not looked at Eno's rankings yet. I am going to send him a text after this and say, hey, for the craft tomorrow, which is, by the way, we're going to likely be doing that on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Um, that is the new pitching podcast with me and Eno Saris. Um, Eno is a quote unquote recurring guest, but expect him to recur a lot, <laughs> like all the time. Um, but I, uh, anyway, um, I'm going to ask him if he wants me to look at his rankings and I, I haven't solidified mine yet. I'm going to be doing it actually on stream on playback today, at least the first pass of it. And of course those will be live my top 300 in full next Tuesday. Um, also the rotation pieces will then become public after that. Um, but if you want that early access to the twins, uh, Yankees and Dodgers, uh, you will get that. Also, I will, um, uh, yeah, I'll put all of those out for you so you can see that all the blurbs I'm doing for the, uh, for the top 300 will be the ones from the rotations. I mean, you guys understand that. That's why I normally don't share this. Uh, and it's why it was early access because like I'm writing this stuff for the top 300. Anyway, Joe Ryan at 36. I normally don't look at that, those rankings, but it honestly resonated with me a lot, especially covering him today because it's really just a four seamer that has really good VAA. 97th percentile swing strike rate at 17%. But Joe Ryan pairs that with a splitter that is super in the zone and does not have good PLV. It's like one of the worst PLV splitters I've seen. It's a super high strike rate, but not a good swing strike rate. And then it's a sweeper that he just does not make competitive enough. Like it doesn't tunnel well. It It's easier to lay off. It's not a vicious one. And what that means is guys are going to go up there looking for a four-seamer, be able to adjust to a splitter pretty easily, and then lay off the slider. And that makes it so that Joe Ryan literally has the 100th percentile swing rate in the majors. Batters swing more at Joe Ryan's pitches than any others, which is really interesting to me. And it makes all the sense because Joe Ryan just doesn't have that breaker that keeps batters honest. Even just the cutter. That would be in the zone underneath that four-seamer would do wonders for him. And getting that sl- splitter out of the zone as opposed to in the zone. Gosman splitter not in the zone, right? The ghost fork, not in the zone. That's why it's a 53% strike rate. But I think that would do well for Ryan um, instead of trying to get that extra one. Like he needs, he needs to go the uh, Kodai Senga route of four-seamer cutter splitter. But the thing is, I don't think that Joe Ryan should even throw a splitter. This is something that uh, I talk to a scout about constantly, um, about arm action leading to certain pitch types. And I generally don't really lean too hard into it, but if there's one I had to say like, yeah, you shouldn't be throwing that with that arm angle. I mean, there's really two. There's one, if you're over the top, it doesn't really speak to a sweeper because you have to be underneath the ball or more on the side of it. And the other is a splitter from the lower arm angle because a good splitter to me, is one where you're able to get truly on top of it. And that means you're able to tunnel well with the, the four-seamer as the movement of it out of your hand is going to match the four-seamer more and then it's just going to tumble, have that probable tumble action. 
But if you're going at it three quarters, that means you have it as a uh, more of an arm side movement than you want. And I remember actually someone that used to have a lower arm angle. I would have to focus about getting my wrist tight on release for splitters um, to ensure that I got on top on release that I would actually get the tumbling action I, I wanted. So I don't really think that Joe Ryan with his lower arm action and think of it akin to like Luis Castillo and Aaron Nola. I don't think that he should be throwing a splitter. I think he should be throwing more of a circle change, but maybe he's someone that hates circle changes because of the ring finger stuff. Totally get that. I hated it. <laughs> uh, but to me, I feel like you can find the Luis Castillo slider and change. Maybe you can go the Aaron Nola route of the knuckle curve. Maybe you can add a sinker into this. The lower aim, arm angle should mean that you get good arm side break, which means you should be able to stave off right-handers better. And honestly, the splitter could work decently well. I mean, it does against lefties. It's about really nullifying righties. As I, uh, you know, these pitches all have a 45% or higher ICR against righties right now. So that sinker would be a really big thing that's worked for, say, like Bryce Miller, um, worked for Brian Wu. I mean, really, Bryce Miller is the worst example, but like worked for Robbie Ray, worked actually for Castillo. Um, Kirby uses it well. I think that a lot of the Mariners philosophies of sinkers could be applied here to Joe Ryan. And I have to think that Joe Ryan going to driveline. Um, was where he increased his velocity last year with that four-seamer. And I think that's where he adapted that splitter too. Um, I think going to driveline, they're going to make those adjustments in some way. Um, I can't think that he's going to return to camp with the same exact arsenal than he was uh, uh, fielding last year. And that makes me excited because it is a very good foundation with that four-seamer. Like, it's a great one. It just needs something else. And right now, the splitter and the slider are not that. So I don't know if I'm going to have him at 36. I do believe that Joe Ryan will help you more than hurt you, but it is more volatile, right? There is that lower floor because of the home run rates because of, well, you just don't have the extra stuff. So I am actually considering, hey, of my you know, four starters I want, he's more like the SB4 than he is the SB2 or 3, but there is potential for Joe Ryan. I mean, Joe Ryan, the beginning of the first half of the year was just so dang good, and then batters started to realize, like, oh, wait, we can just aim for this four-seamer and then we're fine. So I think uh, I, uh, there's that, obviously that ceiling, but yeah, I'm going to probably have him closer to 36 than my 20 um, that Smolski put out. So I thought that was pretty awesome. Uh, we have everyone else to talk about. Bailey Ober, very interesting. Lee Varland, uh, Chris Paddock, uh, Anthony Scafine for like the 10th time. Also David Festa um, and uh, Blaine Enlow as prospects as well. We're going to talk about all of those after this break. Should I put Bailey Ober over Joe Ryan? I don't know yet. Part of me says yes. Uh, Bailey Ober's four-seamer is not as good as Joe Ryan's, but he has better extension, just not the best VAA and IVB, because, of course, he's really tall, which is going to prevent the VAA from being very good. And, uh, unfortunately, he doesn't quite have that IVB sometimes see from a taller release point. Still, that, uh, that extension is absolutely elite. And because of that, it makes it really hard to catch up to the four-seamer, even though it's like not even that hard. It's like 91 miles per hour at the top of the zone. He paints it with precision. Uh, that's why I call it Bailey Oberizzi, because it's just what Jago Rizzi used to do. And uh, only one pitch across his four-seamer, changeup, and sweeper. And when he split them up into right-handed and left-handed batters, so that's six opportunities. Only one of them had an ICR above 40% last year. And that was his sweeper to a lefty, which is obvious right sweepers to opposite handed batters are just generally worse we know this 
and uh, he only throws it 10% of the time to lefties, so who cares? It's fine. Um, the four-seamer and changeup are so good, um, where the four-seamer goes up and in super well to lefties, and the changeup has a lot of arm side break and goes down and away from it, and they mirror each other super well, and batters really can't tell the difference. Um, right-handers, it's the sweeper works well, and the four-seamer works well, and the changeup works well. Like, Bailey Hoover's got it made. The thing is, he doesn't have that uh, super mega whiff pitch as a breaker. Like, the sweeper's fine, but it's not like this really, really good awesome pitch, and... It's a little disappointing. I would actually kind of think that he'd be better with this um, a uh, gyro slider, considering he's more over the top, as I was talking about before. But like, he can't really do a sweeper as much um, over the top. But uh, I, I don't really think that Bailey Ober is actually an over the top guy. He's just really tall. He just, but he also has a lower arm angle than you would see from a six nine guy. Anyway, the point of the matter is, without that big overwhelming breaker, that is just oh my gosh, here that comes. It is going to mean that Bailey Ober is more of like your six innings, you know, five to six innings with two and runs as opposed to like six and zero. Um, as he doesn't really have that, oh man, 10, 12 strikeout game in him without it. So that makes me a little more hesitant to push Bailey Ober into like the top 25 or top 30. I have him settled around like 40. I think mentally I'm going to fine tune that in a moment after this podcast, but uh I don't know between Joe Ryan or not. Joe Ryan has a better ceiling because I think the four-seamer can overwhelm more than Bailey Obers. But I think the floor is higher with Bailey Ober because he has that really, really good change out pair with it. And he has a little bit better precision with that four-seamer. I think, uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of helium right now on, uh, on Bailey Ober where back in like October or so, he was like the 60th or something like that. And I think he's getting closer to 40th starter and it's annoying. But on PLV, I'll tell you right now, I think PLV has him in PLV projections as like a top 20 starter. <laughs> PLV loves him. So I uh, maybe I just should lean to that. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, here's the thing. Now, those are three starters for the Twins. And uh, they have technically three other starters now that Anthony Descafani is here. I wouldn't be surprised. I actually was even hinting before that they would get some other depth starter. I was thinking like Carrasco, who obviously can't anymore. He's going back to the Guardians. Second Paxson, he's with the Dodgers. So maybe it's Ryu, maybe it's Zach Davies. I don't know. I feel like there should be one more. And they got Anthony Descafani. Ugh. Ugh. That's how I feel about Anthony Descafani. Um, as a SK rot inside of uh, playback chat, we'll say, please, sir, please slider may have some war. Because all he does is he throws sliders and hopes for the best with everything else being so mediocre. So I personally um, think the Twins will be better off at least giving both Paddock and Barland a chance in the rotation and then have Descalfani as the backup. Um, at the very least, I don't want it to be Chris Paddock as the SP4 and then pushing out Chris Varland. And I'm going to go over Paddock first. I think it's really quick. I think back in 2019, and I wish we had these apps as we do now, the PLV apps, to really go over the pitch shape, because I didn't know much about pitch shape then, really. VA, all that kind of stuff, did not really follow it at the time, didn't, I uh, didn't understand it quite yet. And I just assumed that the four-seamer was the pitch for him. I was like, okay, cool, all the numbers are saying, like, the four-seamer's a thing. The changeup is good, but it's inconsistent, because it's a Vulcan change, which is a split change, just with your two middle fingers, as opposed to, like, your middle and your ring, as opposed to your index and your middle. And the curveball is this thing that just never was going to do the thing. So I'm like, okay, comes back from Tommy John. And guess what? He's starting 95, 96. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, Chris Paddock. I mean, sure, it's out of the pen, but like you fix your fastballs. It's good. 4.45 PLV. What? That's so bad. 
And uh, it's not all location based there. No, it's actually the, the pitch shape of it is just not good. He does feature good extension. It's not like seven feet, but it's above. It's like 6.5 or so and good. That's like good. We'll take that all day. IVB and VAA are not good. They're, they just aren't. And wait, what is the benefit here? Paddock isn't going to be throwing 95, 96 if he's in the rotation. It's going to be like back to 94. And the extension's not enough. The VAA and IVB aren't good. Like, brrr. And the, the changeup can be good, and then there's nothing else. I don't want this. I, I don't think that Paddock is going to do well in the rotation, unless there's something brand new that we're going to see. Great, but I don't like it. I really, really, really don't. And uh, yeah, sign me out of Paddock, and I would so much rather have Louis Varland. Oh my gosh, Louis Varland is near seven feet with his extension, okay? Excellent excellent extension elite VAA like 1.5 degrees not like 1.2 like 1.5 oh you like you get to that 1.5 and you're just like oh yes it gets like 1.9 it's like what is this Paul Seawold like 1.5 is unreal with that extension and it doesn't matter that he doesn't have like the best IVB 15 inches is fine the problem he doesn't get it upstairs enough um, Varland, when he does, it's so good. It's like 94, 95. And like, oh man, all Varland has to really do is get that pitch upstairs. Um, there is other elements too, right? Like he has a, a cutter, he has a changeup, and he has a sweeper. Oh, like all of the twins were like, ah, let's just do sweepers. <laughs> Say it like that. Um, I, I think that Varland overthrew his sweeper a ton against righties, uh, low strike rates, and he threw it a lot of the time in two strike counts. I think it was like a 50% mark. But actually, you see them, and traditionally, when I see low strike rates on sliders, I think it's going to be all over the place out of the zone. It's not. It's actually this really big concentrated amount just in the opposite batter's box down in uh, in the dirt. So I actually see that and go, cool, this is, a, this is an adjustment away. Like, this is not a... Um, okay, you really don't know what's going on. You got to fix this in a major way. Like, I don't know how, but you clearly can't throw this thing. Like, no, you are, you are clumping them together with precision, just not accurately in the zone. Now he did also allow a lot of home runs last year, two plus homer per nine, um, which is obviously not what we want, right? Same thing with Joe Ryan was like 1.76. I think with Joe Ryan, well, that's a product of getting too complacent in the zone and just being able to hack away at fastballs. With Varland, I think he just made too many mistakes and he didn't get that fastball upstairs and made that VA not as good because if you have a flat arm angle, the lower you get, the worse it gets. It just makes it easier to match the bat travel. So Varland has a great cutter that I, I really do dig at 91 miles per hour, 90, that really throws guys off and he throws in the zone. That's a, your good strike pitch. Then you have your four seamer upstairs and then this slider could be this legitimate whiff pitch too. Against lefties, it's a little tougher, obviously, because it's more of a sweeper. He does have a changeup. I don't think that the changeup is really the pitch that I'm going to hang my hat on and say, well, oh, no, 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 don't get me wrong. Verlin's, Verlin's changeup is the greatest thing ever since since sliced bread. He throws it 21% of the time. It's a 56% uh, strike rate. 8% swing strike rate against righties. Like, that's got to be better if you're going to be doing this. I don't really think that that's going to be the thing that takes over, right? So lefties are still going to be a little bit of a problem. Um, however, last year was just kind of crazy. 20% ICR on uh, Varland's four-seamer against lefties. There's no way that sticks. It's a very small sample. It was about like 20 uh, or maybe 31. No, 29 uh, events 
So that's not really that high. I can't really lean on that one. Um, but and it wasn't good locations. And I think that might be a little bit of a struggle, like figuring out how to deal with lefties a bit more. Maybe that cutter that really is a more of a gyro cutter, like going straight down, um, as opposed to really that cut action glove side. Um, maybe that can be utilized a little bit better. Uh, and that was good enough with a four seamer. But anyway, all I'm getting at is give Varland a chance. I mean, he's got the fuller arsenal. He's got such a good fastball. He's got, I think, two pitches that are better than anything that Paddock has. <laughs> with a possibility of three. So, I really, really love chasing Louis Varland. And if the Twins are not putting him in the rotation, just drop him. That, it's, that, it's that simple, guys. You don't need to hold on to these guys as stashes. But, oh, no, they could break out and stuff. Really, I'm going to be saying this a ton. Like, someone else is going to get him and hold on to him. That's great. And if you are looking at the waiver wire in your daily leagues and you say, you know what? There's no one that I really want right now. Awesome. Go ahead and stash Louis Varland. But really, try as much as you can. Get that out of your head of, oh, man, later in the season, this guy is going to break out. I have to hold on to him. Trust me. In 12-teamers, there's always value to gain. Always. And go for that now. It's like a, a bird in the hand is worth four at the fair, okay? Because we're not going to be violent <laughs> or whatever. doesn't matter, okay? It's it's more than a two to one. Just get the value now. And if Varland isn't in that rotation, he's not in that rotation. That's just that. He should be in that rotation. I will make some phone calls if not. Um, so we talked about Anthony Descafani. He's not whatever. And then it's just prospects after that. And David Festa is the one that's the most interesting. There's Simeon Wood- Woods Richardson. He is a Toby at best. I don't want to do this. It's low 90s fastball, and it's good enough command, but, like, no, I just don't really see a pitch shape that works, and the whole thing is just not it. Um, Blaine Enlow, uh, swing strike rate fell to 9.3% in 45 frames of AAA. However, when he is looking good, like, when he's actually in a groove, his two breaking balls are so good, and uh, it's really the loss of velocity that he had. Um, that is frustrating for Blaine and Lowe. So pay attention to him. See if he's able to get the velocity back and the whiffs can return. But my guess is that, yeah, no, Blaine isn't going to be that guy. So it's really just David Festa. And I think that he's going to be up pretty quickly. He has really good IVB, good extension. Um, If there was 94, it's not that great of a VAA. Um, It's a really good changeup. And I wonder if that fastball and slider combination is enough to pair it, but I think the second that David Festa gets his opportunities this year, I'm going to add him. I don't think you need to be stashing David Festa, especially now that Descafani's here too, and I won't be surprised, honestly, if like Lorenzen shows up here or whatever, something like that. All right, that is it for today. Thank you all so much for supporting what we do, and yeah, take a look at the Craft Podcast coming out. Uh, Make sure you sub to that feed directly because it will not be on the Fancy Baseball um, Pitcher List feed. It's going to be on a new one that is the Pitchless Baseball feed, because um, that is not really a fantasy podcast. It's more of a baseball pitching podcast. And sure, we'll talk about the top 100 ranks that we have fine in the preseason here. But overall, it's just going to be talking about pitchers and not really in a fantasy sense. Um, and it's, there's going to be a collection of podcasts that we have this year that are very much baseball focused and not fantasy. And we're going to have a dedicated feed for that. So make sure you go and sub to that one um, if you want to get those episodes of me and Enosaurus with the craft. Um, but that is it for today. Thank you all so much for everything that you do. Um, my name is Nick Pollock, and may your babs be low and your strikeouts high.